Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this is the Kenobi keynote where we talk all things Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this is the finale week. We are talking about part six, directed by Deborah Chow and written by Joby Harold and Andrew Stanton. Uh, teleplay also by Hossein Amini. So it is here. So, oh, it is it's here. here. It's done. <laughs> it's over. I cannot believe the whirlwind we have been in for the past month and a half and specifically the whirlwind we have been in since two uh or since three two central a.m um on wednesday morning because oh my gosh was wednesday one of the longest days of my life i swear because <laughs> i got up or actually i was up from tuesday and then i stayed up until two in the morning my time watched the episode didn't go to bed till four got three hours of sleep worked like eight and a half hours came home was talking to you on the phone we decided to watch the episode again together and then i stayed up for like four more hours like a dummy i think the fandom collectively like if you add up all the hours of sleep that we got it was like 0.15 hours of sleep the yeah, whole like fandom four, ma- four max if i'm being generous <laughs> <laughs> like nobody slept i because yeah i woke up at 250 and i was like oh the episode's up already so let's let's do this thing i texted you and you're like it's up it's up it's up and i watched it got done at about 350 and then stayed up until 5 a.m yep, on twitter yep. freaking yep. out with everybody else and it seemed like the vibes were just very good Right. Because the last time I, t- I I stayed up that late watching Star Wars was Mando season two finale, which I do enjoy. But the discourse was a lot different for, for that real. night, for, for that real. night. Right. So if yeah, you were in yeah. the if you were in the early morning hours for Mando season two, God bless you got through the dark times. But really, this this felt pretty good. It felt like everybody was rejoicing. And I'm honestly like really heartbroken that the show's over because it, it feels like even though it was only like a like the last like two months of our lives you and i were kind of talking about this before which this really goes back three years to d23 yeah like all the way back to me sitting in my college dorm room looking at the video where kathleen kennedy asks ewan ewan will you play obi-wan kenobi again and he has a smile on his face he turns to the audience he nods just a little bit and goes yes and like that fueled me for so long and then we got this press tour and like the best thing on the press tour was when the kid in the darth vader costume totally roasted hayda christensen for three minutes very iconic <laughs> like and, and they were together on this press tour and then the show happened and we we went to celebration and like it happened at celebration and, and we weren't in the room but like the energy was there and then we ended up uh, watching it in the hotel room at midnight after Jenny's after it was, you know, as it actually, I will say as it was meant to be seen, uh, yes. at midnight after a Denny's meetup, um, <laughs> I, I would perhaps argue the best way it could have been seen. You know what? We got to spin it positively in my mind. Um, and honestly watching it with you at midnight on the weird hotel TV, sobbing out of my mind when little Leia showed up was just about the most perfect thing I could have like asked for um core memory for me and that feels like it was just yesterday but it also feels like a hundred years ago and 
I can't believe either of those things, either of the fact of those timelines a thousand years ago or yesterday. And I can't believe it's over. Like, I don't, I feel so good about it all. Even the things I don't love, I feel good about it all because it just has brought me such joy in a way that I haven't felt in so long. Yeah, Brandon from Talking Bay 94, his wife Maggie uh, at Talking Bay 94, which is like the best Twitter handle ever. She had tweeted out like, okay, now it feels like celebration is officially over. And I think Kenobi has been so special because it has been this continuation of that energy from celebration. It feels like we haven't stopped celebration and the weeks since it actually ended. Right. It feels Mm -hmm. like we've really been riding this high. It seems like by and large, the fandom is really loving Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obviously, all those total assholes aside who are having like the worst of criticisms um, that are bad faith, right? Like by by and large, like the fandom's really enjoying the show and is seeing a lot of value in it. And like the prequel fans who have been waiting so long for this, like 17 years ago, I would never have imagined we would be here. Like I, I would never have thought like, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Could ever be emotionally topped. And yet, and yet, here we are with what is probably one of the most powerful Star Wars scenes that we've ever seen in live action. Like, well, we, we have, have two of those yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Not several. just one. Well, okay. We have two and a half in this episode because we've got the Vader Obi Wan showdown. We have, this is obviously spoilers in this episode. This is a discussion about the finale. Okay, thank you. We have Redemption, <laughs> And then we have Obi-Wan talking to Leia about some of the best qualities of her parents. So we have two and a half because I would say that that was like a very, the last one is like a very fan service like Sarah cries in the corner sort of a thing. And that's probably a lot of us, but I mean, it doesn't like rank of all time favorites. It's just one that we like, he knows how to get me straight in the heart. So... Mm-hmm. but yeah those other two ooh, some of the best star wars there is yeah and just it's it's really incredible like what was done with the show and again like it, it is so bittersweet and every time i watch the end of it now and john williams's score swells up at the end as obi-wan rides into the sunset like i feel all of those emotions sort of crashing into me like a wave like i feel mm. like the the longing for celebration i feel the sense of community with like all star Wars fans and like all the people that we've gotten to talk to about the show offline and you and I getting to do this every week and, um, and my sad tweets that I will never stop. And it's only going to get worse for Andor. Let me tell you, um, prepare for pain, (laughs) but it's just, it is bittersweet. And there's also the fact that we may never see, I, I, I know it's probably unlikely, but we may never see you and McGregor as Obi-Wan and Hayden Christensen as Anakin again. It's See, possible. I don't think it's probable. I don't, wanna, I don't need your sad tweets as in sad takes IRL on the <laughs> podcast. Keep them, keep them on the Twitter timeline. I say that though, because it's just like a, I think it's like a good lesson to just not take things for granted. Right. And mm. the prequel tr- trilogy, I think was something that was taken for granted by a lot of fans. And right. And then like 20 years later, we're like, oh my God. And then for those of us who maybe were too young to understand what was going on, in some or respects just, i mean the online fandom as it exists today didn't exist then so yeah you know we're all kind of getting to embrace one another in this prequel fandom in a way that we've never gotten to do before 
Yeah. Like I was a child. Like I have very <laughs> and small. And I was an even younger child. <laughs> yeah. I have like very small but vivid memories of seeing each of the prequel movies in theaters. And so for me, this is special because I get to almost experience what I didn't get to in the early 2000s to such a full extent. Like you said, the, the fandom discussions, the weekly speculation, the uh, the online takes, the the symbolism, the thematic lens that we look at Star Wars through, which is what we're going to be doing a lot today is like kind of taking all the emotional beats of this episode and really picking them apart as to like how they speak to a larger theme for the series. And I think the most incredible thing about Obi-Wan is that it's created the perfect trilogy. <laughs> you have Rots, you have Obi-Wan, and you have A New Hope. And I never would have thought my love of the original trilogy would could be so sharpened Mm -hmm. um and i think what the show did well was take all of the the themes of the skywalker saga resonate them in such a powerful way and like make you look at the whole thing differently like the whole tapestry has changed because of the show and i feel like my understanding of the saga is like more enriched than it ever has been before um especially considering each of these episodes followed the story beats of the skywalker saga this episode included obviously with the showdown with vader force ghosts palpatine you know leia asking somebody not to go face down vader you know like run away run far away is is what carrie fisher tells luke and here here she is telling obi-wan don't leave you know so it's all there and it's brilliant yeah i think for me this series and i I really just like it when my characters cry. Um, For me, when we can dive truly into the emotions and see it on their face and, and like really walk through the trenches with them, that's what I love about stories. Um, That's, that's what most grabs me about stories is when we can go through the trenches with people in their emotions from the most joyous and the highest of highs to the most tragic and the lowest of lows. Uh, and this episode really brings it all home for me and makes this whole series completely worth it. And ties tie. You were saying the perfect trilogy again. Yeah. It ties the prequels to the originals in a way that no other tie in media um, and by tie-in media, I mean like books, comics, et cetera, et cetera, has done for me yet. Um, and I am not somebody who would consider the original trilogy to be my favorite trilogy. I don't have the nostalgia for it. Obviously, I just said I was a child during the prequels. We know this if you have, you know, looked at me once. Um, but <laughs> um, but like I I have such uh, desire to go back and watch the original trilogy now. And I don't typically have that desire. So I'm feeling really good and really grateful for this series and how much it was rooted in these difficult emotions. And even though I really, really could have done with, um, Obi-Wan sitting in the desert for six episodes, like in his cave crying, like if that was the whole series that I've been like, yeah, that, that works for me. Uh, even though that wasn't it, like oh, this, this show has given me some of my favorite Star Wars things. So I, yeah. I am really yeah. glad the show wasn't just him in a cave because like would it have been probably good still? Like, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a story there to tell and it's where he's already been his whole life. Like he's been in that cave doing those things that we thought like originally, like maybe that's what the show is about. Right. 
but I think the show is about change. It's about change for Obi-Wan and like what drives that change. The change is the twins and specifically Leia. Leia is the, is the beacon of hope, the lone candle that pushes back against the darkness. Um, she is so much like Padme. Obi-Wan picks up on that right away. And I think it awakens something in him that he hasn't felt since he watched Padme deliver the twins. You know, her saying, despite everything that happened, she still somehow believed there was good in Anakin, right? And I, I, I got to imagine in that moment, Obi-Wan's like, how could she think that? Like, how, how is that possible? Like, what is happening right now? And she still believes there's good in him. And meeting Leia, and Leia is so trusting, right? And he tells her, like, people are not all good, Leia, right? And this whole series has been Padme's desire to see the best in people now through Leia. Leia seeing that, it rubbing off on Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan becoming more trusting of the people around him, like Tala, Roken, um, even Reva, right? It, he, he starts to grow a soft spot for these people and he starts to kind of come back to his own form from before. And again, Leia is the light for him. Like there's the whole darkness and light metaphor in part three, right? His whole existence up until now from the end of rots has been bathed in darkness his grief his guilt he's been trying to find that switch to turn on the light he's lost the path forward he can't talk to qui-gon and he finds a new hope <laughs> literally a new hope in leia and he realizes that the fight never ended when he meets people like broken Antala. the fight has been going for 10 years and when he starts the series by saying the fight is done we lost and now he's not reburying his saber he's literally wearing it on his waist for everybody to see he is now going to not forget the past but fight to make it better make those things better that he's been living with that's like i think the ultimate kind of thesis statement of the show yeah i i wrote one as well because i was like we were talking the other day about oh what are all these what are all the big big ideas big themes and i wrote that this is a show about forgiving yourself so that you can forgive others and believe that hope does survive. And I know that's like a very like mission statement-y, buzzwordy <laughs> kind of sentence, but like what Obi-Wan does in this final episode is forgive himself so that he can move forward. And when he forgives himself, he can forgive Reva, or not maybe forgive her, but like allow her a second chance in his mind. Um, and then believe that things will be okay and things will be all right under the watchful eye of Bale and Breha and also Owen and Baru for Luke and Leia. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so good. And I have to say that like, overall, these scripts are really competently written. These words have meanings. They, they talk about themes They're they go throughout the whole season. So you really can pull on these threads throughout the whole season. They do set off set up and then they pay it off. Um, so like, it's really valuable there. Uh, and also Deborah's Deborah Chow's voice, um, Deborah Chow's choice to put the camera really up close in everybody's face as often as she could was just a genius choice, uh, on my opinion, because it's, amplifying the emotions by a hundred and really allowing for us as viewers to understand the stakes of these emotions for the characters. Uh, and 
I, I think that Ewan throughout the whole season and especially in this episode just does a brilliant, brilliant job portraying that. But also in this episode, we see it with both Hayden as Vader slash Anakin and also with Moses Ingram as Reva. And each of those moments are just so powerful and so strong. And if they had been at a different shot length, like if they were medium shots or wide shots, you wouldn't have got the same intensity of emotion. So like that is the real winner for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, the winner of the series is that it was one creator's vision. Like, you know, John and Dave have been running the Mandoverse, which I'm a fan of the Mandoverse. I love the Mandalorian. I cannot wait for season three. Like I need it immediately. The trailer at Celebration looked insane, like amazing. But there's also a certain disjointedness to some of the storytelling within the Mandoverse uh, because you're having different directors, different writers. And most of the time it is just John writing every episode. And they're does sometimes feel like the vision gets pulled in several directions at once, which again, I love the Mandoverse, but that is definitely a criticism to be had about it. This really felt like it was Deborah Chow, her vision. And like you said, the writing is just up to snuff. It's so good. I know it's gone through some rewrites, but it ultimately ended up in a place that was really powerful and it felt like it meant something. And there was like a certain cinematic quality to it. Like John Williams's music uh, the end credits being the traditional blue color and it feeling like this sort of five hour movie versus just like an adventure of the week. Yeah. And I think the thing with the scripts for me is just so interesting. Um, I mean, obviously we don't know the behind the scenes. We are not a fly on any wall or sitting on anybody's shoulder knowing the ins and outs, but you're right when you say that like John and Dave are kind of writing the scripts and, and they're the only name that appears on the credits. It's so interesting to me that, um, Joey Harold, who was the you know main writer throughout the series, who took it over from Jose Nomini, and then we have Andrew Stan towards the end here. Clearly, what Jose Nomini set out in his version of the scripts, clearly enough of those ideas carried over, or like enough of that work wasn't completely thrown out the window from my understanding of how writing crediting works. This is what I think happens, but I'm not a writer. Um, so I don't know for sure, but like a, clearly enough of that was pulled into the new script in some way. None of those ideas, not all of those ideas were thrown out that Hossein Amini's name still appears. And so what's interesting about having these multiple versions of the script and multiple names attached at the end is that they're all kind of building on one another. I was listening to another podcast and I don't remember exactly who it was. I apologize, but they were talking about, oh, it might've been, might've been the Ringerverse, might've been House of R. Um, and they were talking about Andrew Stanton writing what the Toy Story films. Yeah. He's written Toy Story, Toy Story 2, A Bug's Life, uh, Finding Nemo and Wally are the other big ones. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. a no, he's a man who knows how to make a girl cry. Toy Story and, 4 as well. And the girl Stephanie is... Paulson. Yeah, the girl is me in this in this equation. <laughs> um, uh, he, uh, they were saying that he really brings a lot of the emotionality into the final two episodes, which I probably agree with. That's probably his contribution there, and that's why it rings so true. But this collaborative sort of voice and these uh, ideas that carry over through people's visions, I think, is really valuable. So yes, while it is like a single director's vision over the course of the series, which sets you know, you know, it all comes down from the top. The the biggest manager is going to be the one to set the tone, right? Um, but having these writers kind of build on each other and pull the best ideas from the last script into this one, and like that's why I think collaborative duos are so great because they're playing with each other's strengths and they each have different strengths. 
So they're yeah. double the strength. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a great way to great way to put it. And they yeah. were writing scripts for an entire series versus like a single episode. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, again, would love to be a fly on this on this wall or <laughs> sitting over the shoulder and, and understanding how it all works. But I do find that interesting, and I would love to read all of the past versions of the scripts to see what they brought forward or oh, yeah. ditched um, for another idea. Um, <laughs> locked right. within the secret vaults at lucasfilm right deep within, right deep within the vaults but um speaking of some amazing scripts i i think we should like really get into this episode because i, I i'm just like so excited um i don't know about you but we should start with the rematch of the century like the the big time big ticketed event that we've been promised and it's it's finally here and and i more times i watch it i literally have for for the listener 2544 up on my screen right now which is anakin vader bathed in red light kind of looking uh, <laughs> like for the last 21 minutes that we've been recording this <laughs> he's been staring at me so i'm ready for this discussion <laughs> yeah well actually first thing i want to ask you before maybe before we get into the the fight is like what did you think of the episode overall um episode overall really successful for me i cried a lot um i said oh my god a lot um yeah. Yeah. There were things that I didn't love. I mean, we will get into just some of those moments or that weren't as successful for me as I wish they would be. But like even those stumbles uh, that were stumbles for me, I'm not even mad about it because all my faves cried. So I'm, I'm thriving. I'm surviving, living it up. Yeah. What about you? No, it, was a, it was a really great finale by all standards. And I think it's definitely the best Star Wars finale that we've gotten. Um, chapter eight comes pretty close for Mando. That's a pretty good mm. one. But I think this had just like more emotional meat to it. And getting thrown into it with, you know, a Star Destroyer chasing a small transport and you're getting the, the, the theme music from Empire Strikes Back that, no, 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 no. Like hearing that, I don't know, like you say, you say that like when you, you see Kylo Ren smash the helmet in Last Jedi, like you want to like yell and scream and like cheer. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way people do at sports. Yeah. That's what I want to do when that scene comes on. Yes. So that's how I feel when we open with the shot. you hear that you hear that music that we haven't heard since 1980 and then you get the shot of like vader walking down the star destroyer bridge and his cape is flowing you see the green lasers out the window there's inquisitor on the bridge people are at their consoles like it is high stakes action and i love a good star wars chase and i like literally just have to get up from my couch and just start like fist pumping the air (laughs) because i'm just i'm like let's go let's go did you did you fist pump the air at 305 a.m I actually did. Yeah. I was like very excited <laughs> to hear that, that particular cue of music. Cause I'm such a, like a music, like, I don't want to call myself like aficionado cause I'm not like a musician, but like, I really pick up on like little musical cues and stuff very easily. So like hearing that right away, I was like, uh, I just started screaming. I was like very happy. I think I, just to touch on the note of the music is, is that there have been criticisms of this series and of the score that it hasn't utilized some of the key um, known themes that uh, exist in the prequel trilogy and specifically in the original trilogy. And I agree with you. And like when this episode opened with some of the original trilogy ideas and music, and then later in the episode, we'll talk about it, but like we get the Imperial March kind of finally in this series. And then we get the force theme at the end when Leia's these moments theme. yeah when these moments do come up they're so 
powerful because you're like, oh, this signals a turning point. The single is a big moment. Um, You know, we also get the choral going back to this rematch of the century. We get the choral moment, uh, a la Duel of the Fates, Battle of the Heroes, towards the end of this battle, too, which you're like, oh, oh, the stakes are really, really high uh, because you can hear the choir, you know, with their beautiful harmonies in your ear uh, while the, the tension is at a fever pitch. Right. Yeah. Okay, so now we're back to the battle, it seems like. So we've, yes, we've, we made it we've, all the way back around. We did, <laughs> we did the circle. I had to get your thoughts, though, on the, on the overall episode first. So, oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, like, you know, I had a feeling we were going to get the, the Rebels, Ahsoka, Vader moment in live you action. Did? Like, yeah, you can go look at one of my tweets from like four weeks ago. I was like, are we all ready for this? And it was like the... Oh. The gif of Vader with the helmet. I'll send I didn't it to you. Even but know this. We haven't discussed this. I, I just I don't know. I, I you had I, you had a feeling. I felt like it was obvious. Maybe that's like why I didn't bring it up as much. But I, I felt like it was like leading up to this point, right? Because I think the way that Obi Wan looks at Anakin or looks at Vader uh, per se, he sees like Vader as the shell. He sees Vader as almost like a, a monster that has swallowed Anakin, right? Like the suit has consumed him. It's a tomb. It's a tomb that has buried the boy, the brother beneath. Right. And I think the moment that Obi-Wan actually sees the helmet split open and he sees the body inside and sees that the body is still very alive and breathing. And the eye of Anakin is very still Anakin in there. It's him. Right. That's what he says. Like Anakin. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, I rescued Anakin. I, I cut off the shell. I cut mm. off the sarcophagus. I cut off the thing that's been restraining Anakin this whole time. The suit, Vader, is he? It's gone. Maybe there's a chance here, right? And it, it ties back to like Vader saying to Luke, "Obi Wan once thought as you do." That's this moment, you know, Anakin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all of it. It's ah. his plea. It's his plea to say, like, "Can we fix this?" I'm sorry. Can we fix this? And really, truly. That's not Anakin anymore. It, the man inside the machine is, is Vader. Vader has killed Anakin Skywalker. It's tragic. It's so tragic. And but I think it, gets, it took Obi-Wan actually seeing him inside the suit to understand that connection. Well, I think it gets even more tragic when, when you hear Vader say, you know, what, what, what does he say? Uh, he says, uh, Anakin is gone. I am what remains. And then he says, I killed him. Yeah. I killed him because you're saying, you're saying that, you know, Darth, Darth Vader, I guess, killed Anakin. But like, if we are accepting that the flesh, the face is still Anakin, which I think Hayden accepts that Anakin and Vader are one and they are in my mind as well. It's Anakin saying that he has killed himself in order to remake himself. I think you are right here i think there's i think too the lighting here is important because when anakin says those lines i am not your failure obi-wan you didn't kill anakin skywalker i did if you look at the lighting when he says those lines there's blue painted onto his face from obi-wan saver the blue light is shining on his face just his face the portion of his skin everything outside the mask is red oh, you're right right as soon as as soon as, <laughs> as soon as anakin says the same way i will destroy you that's when the red comes over and i think that is when in obi-wan's mind he merges the two right it's not the suit and anakin mm, anakin is vader the suit. they're one of the same 
it's just an extension of Vader and Anakin killed was killed by Vader, right? And it it's from a certain point of view, right? Uh Vader betrayed and murdered your father. So that's what he says mm, to Luke, right? Mm, and this is where this mm, is where he gets that mm-hmm, up. So mm-hmm. what did you think of hearing Hayden's voice with Vader's voice and James Earl Jones's voice? And <laughs> you know, obviously we got this with Matt Lantern and, and uh, James Earl Jones and Rebels and it was still as haunting as it was then. You could say that. Yeah. Um <laughs> here I am. 2:25 in the morning going oh my god this is so grotesque <laughs> like to myself like this is gross this is amazing this is a it's amazing it it was the exact thing that i needed as a fan to connect the prequels to the sequels like that is what i needed um because hearing hayden's voice brought back all those memories, you know, of the prequels and how much I love that character with, and then merging it together in a very haunting manner for this confrontation helps me to understand that these characters are one character. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm talking in circles about this, but like Anakin and Vader are the same. And this is what I needed as a fan to know that and feel that in my bones. And I think it shows why this duel was important, right? Because I think a lot of people were saying, oh, they just want to do the Anakin and Obi-Wan duel to satisfy nostalgia. And they just want to, like, you know, have oh, the yeah. big, you, you the big say thing, that I right? I was one of those people that was like, oh, it's a little cynical, this one, you know, <laughs> like, because yeah. I'm always cynical about these things. And I don't know if I needed, I didn't know that I needed this connected tissue. Yeah. And then here we are now. The, the, the duel was important for Obi-Wan to realize that his, his, his friend, as he says, my friend is truly dead. Because when you think it's a, a new hope, he says, you know, you're only a master of e- evil Darth. He calls him Darth. And he says goodbye, Darth, here, right? So he's kind of moved on from starting that conversation with Anakin to then leaving it going goodbye, Darth, right? So he's accepted, yeah. he's accepted that it, it's not the same person anymore. And he is also, I think, letting go of a lot of guilt that he feels like for so long he's felt like Anakin's fall was his responsibility. It was his fault. And here he is seeing Anakin own up to the fact Vader owning up to the fact that his faults were his own and his own destruction was by his own hands. And he laid his own bed. And I think Obi-Wan needed to hear that. He needed to say, I'm sorry. He needed to, make that connection to merge the two the flesh and the and the machine and oh god Uh, putting these two things side by side with rebels um you and i rewatched the twilight of the apprentice so how did you feel like watching that uh moment in that episode after like watching the live action it was like uh our our first came across this parallel because again i watched rebels I've seen Rebels all the way through once and I watched it in a very sort of disjointed manner. Like I watched one and two seasons, one and two kind of all in one go over a Christmas break. And then I watched three and then I watched four as it was coming out. So like I filled all the place I'm due for a rewatch for sure. But I remember this, this duel being really, really interesting, really important. And when somebody on Twitter was like, Oh my gosh, you know, at four in the morning, look at this parallel improperly tagging their spoilers uh tag your spoilers people um (laughs) i was like oh my god brad um and i 
think that this parallel having this moment kind of happen again for Obi-Wan is super, super powerful and really amazing. And I'm glad they brought it into live action because like, it hits even harder in live action than it does in animation. And that's saying something because it hits really hard in the animation. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The fact that Ahsoka takes off Vader's left side, Obi-Wan takes off the right, but it's really Luke to take off the full helmet. Um, that's like that's some good connective tissue is what i have to say about that yeah, that is some yeah. good delicious yummy stuff <laughs> i mean why do you think that is like why do you think it's not until luke i mean i think it just has to be the fact that luke is his son it's family it's it, you know as much as obi-wan was a father to him in some ways like luke is actually his family like his blood family the, the direct offspring of padme like the last living remnant of padme and anakin was so fixated on saving her and then to realize, like, he didn't save her, but he could save his son means something. And so for his son to say the same words to him in Return of the Jedi, uh, he says, Vader tells him, the Emperor will show you the true nature of the Force. He is your master now. And Luke says, then my father is truly dead. Echoing Obi-Wan saying, then my friend is truly dead. Like, the same exact words, right? And rewatching that scene when Luke goes back into the elevator, like, Vader walks to the railing and kind of just stands there. And obviously it's a moment of contemplation. That's what we've always been led to believe, but watching it through the new context, I almost feel like, okay, now my new headcanon is he sits at that railing and thinks back to when Obi-Wan says it. And he's like, wow, everybody's been telling me this my whole life. And it's not until my son actually tells me this, that I, I see it. Like I see all the mistakes. I see everything I've done. And like, I can't lose him too. Like I've lost Ahsoka. I've lost Obi-Wan. I cannot lose Luke. Yeah. Well, I think what, what makes Luke and Leia as well, because she does exist. Um, <laughs> I love her, uh, different than Ahsoka and Obi-Wan is that Ahsoka and Obi-Wan represent his past and represent his mistakes in their clearest, most potent forms. Um, and I think Luke and Leia represent his future, represent the best choices he ever made. Um, and he doesn't have that sort of, uh, because he, because he was not there for their upbringing because he was doing his own thing as Vader, he doesn't have the sort of baggage, uh, that he does with, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, he doesn't see his own mistakes when he sees them. He sees Padme, perhaps, uh, and he sees the best, yeah, the best choices he made. I think likewise, too, you make a great point. Uh, I think it's the same for Obi-Wan when he's trapped under the rocks, right? Because what happens there? He's trapped. The rocks are coming in on him. All he can think about is Anakin invader his mistakes but it's not until he thinks about luke and leia the future that he's able to he's able to push the rocks up if i may hope survives <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting how you phrase that because it is it, the moment of of like realization for obi-wan that like yes i've had all these mistakes but the twins are the future like they are the most important thing like i'm drawing my strength from them from luke and leia and it's the same thing that he does when he faces vader on the death star he sees the twins reunited in the hangar 
and is like i'm i'm strong now because i see them and i'm 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 now ready to move on mm-hmm. because i've done my life's work right and i think it was so amazing i know you had said some of the leaks had had alluded to him hearing Qui-Gon's voice in this moment when he's trapped. Well, I also just thought this would be the natural point for Qui-Gon to show up is like in his darkest hour at the moment of in this big battle, um, Qui-Gon believed in both Obi-Wan and Anakin. I I thought this was a very natural point for him to show up. So I was really surprised when it wasn't, but yeah, yes, I will say that like, uh, this is where kind of rumors and leaks also thought it would be. Yeah. But I think the, the twins is the most effective thing here because you said it it's, it's the future mm-hmm. yes i've made mistakes but like i can't lose sight of what's in front of me which are these two children and he's mostly thinking of leia obviously because he's she's the one that he's had more experience with and i find it interesting that between you know luke versus vader and obi-wan versus vader both luke and, and obi-wan draw their strength from leia because in return of the jedi Obi, uh, Darth Vader's taunting Luke about like I'll turn your sister you know maybe that's maybe that's what I'll do and that's when Luke springs into action and tries to take down Darth Vader because he's like nope absolutely not happening you're not tempting Leia with anything right and likewise here I think Obi-Wan realizes what's on, what's at stake if he doesn't spring into action as well and so I think it's interesting that Leia is a catalyst for both these heroes and Leia's also the one that urges them not to actually go fight. And mm. she urges them to like stay. And she's like sort of this ultimate embodiment of hope. And when we think of the Rots novel, right? The lone candle uh is enough uh to be a weakness for the darkness, right? Obi-Wan's Obi-Wan's in this like new tomb under these rocks in the dark. And Leia is that candle, that that weakness for the darkness, right? Like Vader doesn't know that. He doesn't know he has kids. He walks away thinking he won the battle. He doesn't know that weakness exists. He doesn't know that candle's lit, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that Leia being this catalyst and the one you can frame it as, as oh, well, Leia, of course, can't be the warrior in that sort of like gendered lens. But at the same time, Leia has infinite amazing qualities. She's brilliant. She's She has such strong resolve and um, is, is fierce and strong. Uh, straightforward and she does what she needs to do and she perseveres through it all and i think all the people around her draw strength from her because she has battled through so much um maybe not as much when she's as young as 10 but by the time that she's 20 and her whole planet dies there there's a a lot of resolve that she puts on um to keep going and i think that everybody kind of draws from her natural ability to uh to persevere i don't know yeah and she's an empath right like her force abilities revolve around being an empath and yeah for her under her intuition yeah 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 and her understanding and and i think that's what makes her very nurturing as well or what um Mm -hmm. allows her to have that 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 very very keen sense uh which is one of those things that i just truly love about her but if i may talk about rocks can we talk about rocks can we talk about from leia to rocks (laughs) lifting rocks lifting <laughs> rocks okay so um i was thinking a lot about the rocks because we were talking about the rematch of the century and for me i was watching this episode the first time and i was going i don't know if this is living up to rematch of the century like i don't feel the rematch of the century um vibes because we know that every single person in the battle has to make it out alive like 
Obi-Wan and Vader. And then in the Homestead scene, we know that like Luke, Baru, and Owen make it through. We didn't know about Reva at that point. But so like the 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 physical stakes weren't there for me. I was kind of having a little bit of fun, but I was like, mm, I don't know. We're only 20 minutes into the show and we're having the rematch of the century. Okay. But then I started to think about the rocks. And I kind of think the rocks are silly. However, oh, we got her on the rocks. However, I started to think about rock symbolism. <laughs> and this is where my years of writing nonsense papers come into play because I'm ready Yay. to assign. I am ready to assign meeting that the author may or may not have intended. <laughs> oh man, who, who knew we were doing AP Friends of the Force? AP, AP Friends English. of the Force. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. what we do whenever we do a book review because yeah, they're, just of course. So, they're just so long. Um, so it is AP friends of the force and I'm bringing AP friends of the force to the TV, uh, recap today. So rocks can symbolize. So okay, rocks are used to trip crush and throw relentlessly. Uh, so Vader trips Obi-Wan with rocks ouch to his poor ankles. And he also crushes <laughs> Obi-Wan or attempts to crush Obi-Wan in a pile of rocks after he cracks the earth. And then Obi-Wan comes back and then just like lifts them all up. And there's a very epic music, which I'm like, we're epic musicing for lifting rocks. Like, this is where I'm like, I'm like, Star Wars is so dumb. God bless. <laughs> and then he just kind of like throws them with the force. But then I got to thinking, okay, so rocks can symbolize strength, uh, wisdom, and stability. Uh, here, the movement of the rocks in these like various ways speak to the different strengths that both men are using and employing at this part of their lives. So for Vader, the shot of him where we're looking at him from his feet, you know, towards up, that, that's obviously a reference to the high ground and, and calling back to how the Roths battle ended. But it's also just a pure show of his might and his strength. And then for Obi-Wan, he is by all means the underdog in this battle. He is the underdog throughout this whole show because he has not spent the last decade like at the height of his strength and power, right? He's kind of shied away from the force. He's lived as a hermit. He's been riddled with grief and guilt. So here he is escaping the rocks with the help um, of his love for the twins and his reclamation of the force and his, his hope survives kind of moment. And by pushing the rocks away, he's kind of gained this strength back true too. And he shows Vader by throwing the rocks relentlessly at him. This is a show of his might, but it is also a show of perseverance and his relentlessness of his newfound hope in the kids and in the force and in himself. Off the soapbox. I'm off the soapbox. I'm done. That's my spiel. That's my spiel. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I love, I love that. And I don't think that's a stretch either of what you're saying. Cause I, I think that's, that's why we're here to talk about this, right? Like that's why we wrote those, <laughs> those ridiculous way too research essays in like AP English and all those classes, right? Like, yeah. And I need the listener to know that we have eight pages of notes for this episode and yeah. we have not done any notes from any other episode in this series. No. We just vibed. And now we're like notes. We're like, oh, eight pages of Google Doc. Yes, please. Coming right up. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, I, I think I think that is the most fun part of like media analysis for me, like media literacy is like finding the subtext because it's there or and it changes it person to person. Right. And that's like a lot of times when you talk to like authors or creatives, 
they don't always like give a firm answer on things because they want a lot of the stuff to be left up to interpretation. They don't want like sort of their word to dictate everything. And that's the fun of this is like we get to interpret it the way we want. And I think you're so right about the rocks and the word that you used about like crushing. I, I, I kind of see the rocks as like trauma and mm-hmm. guilt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so Vader and the fight is not only burying Obi-Wan from like a visual perspective and like besting him. Yeah. But he is like the rocks, the rocks he's throwing at him are literally the guilt, the trauma, the everything that Obi-Wan wants to move past. And it's why like when he's under those rocks, he's hearing Anakin go like, this is the end for you, my master. And he's hearing all those things, right? right. Because the rocks are the trauma and, and the grief and the guilt and, and the, and the weight of responsibility that's been crushing him for so long, right now, crushing him in the moment. And so for him to move past that and to kind of unload it back on Vader and say, listen, you thought you could best me by making me face all the horrible things I've done or, or I've, I've experienced or seen or witnessed or partially been responsible for, but like, I am bigger than those things and I'm going to throw them right back in your face. Right. And so I kind of see that moment in that way. And it, it it's really tying into like what you're saying as well. Just, um, I do want to say one thing too about the stakes of the episode. You you made a point to talk about that. I will say like that for me, even though like we know where all these characters end up, I think for me, there are still stakes in the episode. Like, yes, we know that all these characters will survive. We weren't sure about Reva going into this episode, but like what really got me thinking about stakes was when Reva brings back Luke and there's the moment where Obviously, as a as a viewer, you're like, of course they're not like Luke's not dead. Like that's Yeah. Yeah. Of course not. So like on the service level, you could think like, oh, there's no stakes here. Like, why should I care? But what matters in that moment is the is is that the characters don't know that. Owen and Baru, the look on their face when they think Luke is dead, that's what matters in that moment. Like those are the stakes. Like that's the tension. Like we've never seen those characters react to the possibility that like luke is dead this is the first time we've never seen obi-wan react to the thought of like luke is dead we're getting all those reactions those are like all the shots on each of them in that moment to show us like what those characters are experiencing and how they're reacting to this moment and like that's what matters and that's what like shows that's what shows the the weight of the moment and like the emotions right and so i think here it's the close-ups it's like you said, like Deborah Chow brings us right in to these characters' faces and actually shows us what they're feeling. Yeah, I want to I want to be clear about my my thought about the stakes is that I feel like the physical stakes aren't there for me because like we talk about rematch of the century and we know that they both have to live, right? So like the battle can be fun and cool, but nobody's dying. You know, we know we know the outcome of it. Where there are incredible stakes for me in this episode and what I talk about it being so successful for me is the emotional stakes. It's exactly everything you just said. It's how people are reacting, responding and engaging with one another and how they deal with things. So like I can watch five minutes of the battle and be like, oh, this is fine. But once we got into the deep close up and this disembodied voice of, you know, like the weirdly disjointed voice, that's when I was like, oh, now we've arrived if that yes, makes sense totally. that's yeah. where that's where it shifted for me um is is once we went from just the battle to 
the really intense emotions of it all if that makes sense yeah if we were miss if we were missing that unmasking scene i think it would have been a failure of a, of I a scene of, I a, of a sequence yeah i we really needed that for sure yeah Let, let's go back to like the beginning of the battle too i want to make a couple notes that um i had noticed like a couple parallels like right sure. off the bat like when the ship lands i love the imagery of like vader walking off um his silhouette and you only see like the buttons on his chest like kind of evokes that imagery of return of the jedi when we first see him walk off the ship on the death star um I, I really like that it was like a visual a visual homage but right away um darth vader says have you come to destroy me obi-wan it's a clear echo this whole scene is a clear echo of last jedi kylo and luke on crate kylo asking luke did you come back to forgive me to save my soul to save my soul okay just to save my soul and then throw that right into this episode and it's like oh yeah mm -hmm, that's exactly what's mm -hmm. happening here you know yeah and then vader you know obviously obi-wan says like i will do what i must same thing as as mustafar and, and, and he, he, he strikes the, the pose he does the thing <laughs> and, then I, and then i was leonardo dicaprio pointing at the screen i was like he's doing yeah. the thing <laughs> There were a couple moments in this episode where, like, he did the thing. And to which you know I went, what? I went, oh my god, Star Wars is so stupid. I'm having a great time. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like any other show, like I'd be like, did this really earn it? And you know, I think with any sort of fun Easter egg or silly moments, like you gotta earn it. You gotta work for it. You gotta work hard for it. And Obi Wan, <laughs> as a series, definitely deserved like two fun Easter eggs that were just silly. You know, and I was waiting for it. Um, I right. think Jordan Jordan Mason on Twitter had tweeted like my only expectation going into tomorrow and it was all the times that obi-wan did the pose with the lightsaber <laughs> and i was like true valid that's that's totally like the, the one thing that needs to happen but you know vader saying then you will die yeah. same thing he says to ahsoka when she says i won't leave you not this time wow right? you really went directly from the meme back into then you will die <laughs> you will die but i do love how this whole scene is set up with the the profiles of each of them standing standing there staring at each other and as the fight begins like you've described uh vader as sort of a tank who fights and like doesn't move very fast but he's very tank he's very tanky he's powerful yeah, very powerful very very um it's like his body is weighing on him but his strength is coming from his core yeah so i feel like in this fight he starts off with like the one hand and he quickly realizes that Obi-Wan's actually pretty strong again. And he switches to a two-handed grip. And I was like, oh, wow. That's significant because he's only been fighting with one hand so far in the series. And I think, I think that is him realizing like, oh, shit, <laughs> I'm in for a little bit of a challenge here. And it's just some of the subtle things throughout the fight that I think are really cool. A couple of moves that mirror Return the Jedi. Um, and you know once it gets to the part where he starts he starts beating up his his chest plate and takes off the helmet not only mm -hmm. takes off the helmet but like jumps off like a like a wall he like does like a little jump thing and gets an angle at it like i thought that was just so well choreographed um can we yeah. yeah yeah there's a couple more things about the choreography and the way that he's fighting and the way that he changes you, you say that he changes from the one hand to the two hands um obi-wan at one point is holding both of his hands as if they were um uh monkey bars so both like forward and out with his lightsaber like pushing with all his might um i think they both recognize the strength of each other uh, and then you sent me a gif earlier today of Obi-Wan switching his grip behind his 
body behind like behind his, his back. back to his other hand yeah like a like he's like dribbling behind the back i was like <laughs> oh geez okay um so there's like some really interesting choreography happening here and even though yeah. i was like oh my gosh this is just so silly I as the fight went on, I was like, wait a second. This fight has a little bit of flair, like a little bit of Rot's flair. Not a ton of flair, because we have a different we have a different fighter in the ring with Vader as opposed to Anakin and his style. You know, his his yes. body has changed and his limitations are different. There's a little bit of flair in this battle. It's fun. It's fun. They hold um, hands. They hold hands they at one do, point. They do hold hands. It's very romantic. Yeah. Yeah. That moment is very interesting and weird. Um, I will say one moment that didn't feel totally Vader to me in the choreo and, and uh, I'm just being extra, extra nitpicky is when he does go to a two handed grip Vader, he does like a little flare with his fingers to like readjust his grip. And I was like, mm, is that a Vader move that I've just kind of missed? Mm it's it's like a i don't i feel like i've never seen vader do something like that before yeah where he like i know we've seen it in star wars maybe anakin used to do it maybe maybe anyway in fact it was his lower hand when he moved to a two hand and grip and was holding his lightsaber up to one side he kind of adjusts his hand twice interesting yeah i i love like digging into fight choreography and like seeing all the little nuances like so much goes into these fights like it, oh yeah, it, it comes out and looks all pretty on our screen, but like so much work goes into it and to make it work and to make it look good while also like making it make sense for like the character's fighting style. Like fight, the fighting style is specific. It's not just like a, Hey, like make it look cool. It's like, no, how does Vader fight? How yeah, does Obi-Wan yeah, yeah. fight? Like Obi-Wan's very defensive. Like he, he continues to like roll away a lot of the, he keeps rolling on the ground throughout the fight. Like he's trying to roll away and get like a little bit of a leg up. Like, could he have struck a killing blow against Anakin at the end? Yes, but he doesn't. He just gets him, you know, weakened enough to the point where he can't fight any longer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hearing hearing Hayden yell Obi-Wan mixing in with the voice is just insane. But really, yeah. really jumbled in my, <laughs> really messed me up a little bit at two in the morning and right. um, for, you know, the past 48 hours since then. Yes, yes. <laughs> Probably will not stop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely not anytime soon. So we've talked quite a bit about the fight, and I want to now jump over to the aftermath uh, from Vader's perspective. We get one final note from him, which is his chat with Palpatine, which somehow Palpatine, Palpatine has returned. returned. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps popping up everywhere. But I will say there was something really cool about seeing like Rots, Palpatine, Rots, Ian McDermott versus like Tross, Ian McDermott. Because, like, it's just a return to form. Tross, it's a return to prequel Ian form. Ian McDermott was literally rotting. Like, his hands yeah. were rotting. So, so <laughs> it's good to see him alive. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. not, like, not like a corpse of himself. <laughs> yeah, alive and well, thriving. He's, he's trying his best. He is the emperor, you know? Living it up. He talks, to, he talks to Vader and says, Perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. If your past cannot be overcome. Invader Invader says, Kenobi means nothing. I serve only you, my master. And that's when the Imperial March cues in and like what a perfect time to use it. We've been waiting. And um, I'm glad that we weren't just spoon fed the theme over and over and over again because that gets boring after a while. Um, as much as words matter, the use of music does as well. Um, oh, especially in a post, you know, John Williams soundscape. Yes. Yeah. You don't, you, you gotta like, put John Williams's music on the shelf and like take it off the shelf when it's appropriate to. 
Yeah, but also just like the idea of thematic music, uh, it you know, it really changes how you feel about something. Um, right. And he's a master of doing that. But I think like the signal of the Imperial March there really um, signals to us how Vader has shifted his perspective in that moment. But I think to us, the viewer who's analyzing this with a critical eye, the fact, the fact that this man is going after his old master 10 years later and he literally cuts the emperor off and he's like, Kenobi means nothing. You know, it's like the, it's like when somebody accuses you of anything and you're like, no, I didn't. And you like mm-hmm. jump in before they've even finished their, their thought. And you're like, liar, liar. You do have a crush on that person because you just cut me off about it. It's that sort of thing. It's like, well, of course, of course Vader is, um, is is set to to make a different choice to have kenobi mean something to have his past mean something because he literally just acted like a 10 year old and he's like oh no 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 not me <laughs> i'm better than that master right, right exactly i'm yeah, like skype call really quickly <laughs> right exactly yeah anyway no, i thought this was definitely a directional shift and i'm glad they addressed it to be like why would he stop right and it's it is a weakness for for vader it's it's clear mm-hmm. that he's he could have he could have gotten that entire transport of people and he doesn't. And that is a failure in the Emperor's eyes. Like you've let your own emotions deter you from the mission that should matter, right? And it's yeah. it's funny that that's Palpatine's uh weakness is not again, knowing about the lone candle in the darkness, right? He underestimates uh what Kenobi has been doing all these years. Also, uh, LOL, um, the er, Palpatine and the Grand Inquisitor should team up in their like ugh, Vader, like group text and be like, this dude, he's so fixated on Kenobi. He's so <laughs> he's literally just thinking about his past all the time and being really grumpy. And like, we have Jedi to hunt. We have people to kill. Like, yes. I bet their text group is just like, just like crap talking kenobi and crap talking vader like specifically vader and like the workplace environment is so hostile because vader is just so fixated on kenobi and like we have we have tasks we have to deliver by friday at five o'clock there is some drama (laughs) with the inquisitors vader and palpatine in the comics i think so uh would be really fun to like revisit those uh in light of the show and like see how our feelings or our understanding of it changes a little bit i feel like the inquisitors have so much drama because they're all like i want to be head honcho (laughs) and then all the inquisitors like or at least some of the inquisitors are like i also secretly not so secretly hate vader yeah (laughs) (laughs) like the inquisitor drama is out of this world yeah well speaking of inquisitors who have it out for vader let's jump over to tatooine now oh wow incredible transition I know I'm really I'm really working on it in 2022. Good for uh, you. Yeah. So we are now on Tatooine. This whole storyline was interwoven with the battle and I really liked how the story played out throughout the episode like kind of giving us both and it never felt like we jumped away from an important moment. It always felt like we jumped at a natural point mm. and came back and when there were important moments we did stick with them, right? Like when the Obi-Wan conversation is happening with Anakin, we don't cut away from that until it's actually over, right? So um, the directing and editing is really great. I got to start with Baru. Baru crew. Baru body crew. I just want to say that the blast points were just ahead of their time, you know, here with the Baru crew. When are they selling extra t-shirts? I need them. The I whole need fandom so needs to have a Baru crew t-shirt. 
I love Baru. Like I have such a newfound appreciation, like not that I didn't before, but for both Owen and Baru in this episode, because me too, I think it is just so admirable that they stuck it out. And, and Baru is really the one to take charge. Like as soon as she learns about it, she, she's like, Oh, well, Obi-Wan's gone. Like whose fault is that? Right. Like it's your fault, Owen. Like you, you had to kind of have your, your measuring contest of who has the bigger ego and you kicked him out of tattooing basically. And, made him feel bad so here we are defend for ourselves like she's like i'm not leaving our home no chance like we we can do this on our own we're not getting other people into this and putting them at risk like this is our fight and we will do it right and to see her be like shooting a blaster throughout the episode is crazy like give me the black series of baru with a blaster in her hands please um she punches an inquisitor in the face hello baru punches people an absolute icon. I I have no notes. She is a 10 out of 10. Um, just an absolute hero in this episode. She leads with uh determination and like a real sense of courage and love for Luke. Uh, and she whips Owen into shape with regards to what they're gonna be doing. Oh, yeah. And I love that for them. I feel like she is just there's just so much more to her character. Like I want an Owen and Baru book. Like I want to know more about them. I want to know what they've been doing in all those years, like raising a child. Like it's just so fascinating to me. And Baru is just like, gosh, so freaking good. So good. It was just so, so happy to see Bonnie peace finally. Cause I was, I was getting a little worried and I love everybody freaking out about it because uh, I hope she knows she's loved and I need to get a picture with Bonnie peace at some point now. It's a goal, new goal of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts on Owen and Baru before this series? Like, what did you feel about them as caregivers, as characters? You know, we don't really get a good sense of them as caregivers, right? Because in A New Hope, it's sort of like they're keeping Luke in line and keeping him from attaining his dreams. Like, he wants to go to the Flight Academy, and Owen's like, no, absolutely not. Like, you got to stay on the farm. And, it's like sort of that like that parent that just like won't let their kid leave the nest. So I got that vibe from more so Owen than Baru. I think Baru is the more empathetic one because she tells Owen like, Owen, all of his friends are gone. And then mm-hmm. Owen's like, no, it's not happening. He's not going to become his father. That's what I'm afraid of. There's too much of him, you know, and he'd stay away from that crazy old man. Right. And, and Baru is much more of a listener and she's much more of an empath. So I think. I think Owen rubbed me in some wrong ways initially, but I think also this series humanized Owen so much more and gave us so much more of, of Baru, who I think has always been humanized in my mind. I, I don't want to say like humanized as in like he wasn't human or like there were bad traits about him. It just like made him more real and authentic in the series. And I, I think I, I appreciated that nuance. Like he is really just trying his best to raise a boy, like willing to give up his life. And he will eventually, right? But to mm-hmm. fight an Inquisitor at the door, that moment when she's trying to get through to, to, to Luke and Owen puts up a fight and, like, breaks his leg, essentially, and he says he is my own. Like, that earns so much respect for me. Yeah, because that's what I was trying to get to with this question is because my f- opinion of Owen and Baru wasn't entirely favorable uh, by the point we got to in A New Hope. 
because they are stopping him from from going or, or Owen is and he's a little curmudgeon and he's a little frustrating um as a, as a person I think to Luke and we're supposed to be watching you know that movie through Luke's perspective but I think what I'm left with in this episode is like not only are Bale and Breha like really incredible parents for Leia we know this because we know how Leia turns out and she's amazing the absolute best but like I hadn't thought about the people who cared for Luke in the same way I mean also I just Jimmy Smith's like is Jimmy Smith is my dad so like <laughs> like so of course I'm I'm of course I'm endeared to him he's um, all of our dads like I just he's a space he's daddy, all of yeah. our dads like he is yeah exactly exactly um so like we already love him but like we do not have the same opinion of Owen you know so like I didn't um I didn't like feel that love for them but like what I walk away from the series with is like Owen and Baru deeply deeply cared for Luke and really 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 loved him and knew because they knew he was in danger knew what they needed to do in case something were to ever happen and were willing to do that as well and it's just I walk away with a completely different perspective of who they are and I love that I love it so much I think that's one of the greatest successes of this show is uh, in this episode specifically is is giving us that new uh opinion of these characters that, i mean that is why this show is so good like it's not just like hey we included amperu and owen isn't that cool guys like you know mm-hmm. it's sweet clap clap because they showed up awesome right like it gives them a character arc <laughs> even for one episode it gives baru like a sort of journey that she goes on right um from somebody who is like left behind at the farm as Owen and Luke go to town. And like, as soon as they come back, it's like, no, Baru's the one in charge. She's the one who runs the household. Like she knows where the guns are. She's the one to take them out. Owen wants to run. And she's like, no, we protect our home. She's like, did you forget we have secret guns and secret gun compartments? (laughs) Like, it's tragic too, to think that like, did they, use those guns when the stormtroopers show up on their doorstep right and they're so the answer is yes they put up a fight yeah. they they did not stop for anything and i think that's also something that changed in my mind was i always thought they didn't put up a fight like i thought that they might have mm. just gotten kind of kind of handled terribly by the stormtroopers when they showed up and now i'm like no these two people are fighters and they they fought to the very end like there's no way they just sat in that home and like let it happen like they were they were like, no, you're not finding Luke or the droids. Good luck. Do you think the reason why Owen might have been so hesitant uh, or, or so hesitant to stay or more prepared to run is because in the first episode, we do see that confrontation between Owen and Riva. And we see Riva cut off somebody else's hand. We see Riva be impulsive and she directly threatens his life and the life of the lives of his family. And she intimidates the ever living heck out of him. Yeah. Like, I think it's possible that he's just a, he's genuinely terrified because he knows who she is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like he's seen her, 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 uh, her violence firsthand. Like what she's capable of. Yeah. So Reva, Reva shows up to the homestead. I thought this, this whole scene was great. I love, I love how it's dark and again, tattooing at night just hits different. It's really great. And 
it was just cool like the little firefight that they were having it felt like it worked like reva's already in a weakened state right dude she's a mess in this episode we didn't talk about the beginning of this episode but like she's first of all that the the boss guy comes back and he says the same thing (laughs) (laughs) you got something to say your new Um, shadow um no but (laughs) i found it funny that he said the same thing um uh uh, but then like reva shows up and she's got the cloak and she's got this like bandage or wrap around her abdomen where she was stabbed and like her hair is in a completely different style clearly it's kind of like fallen from the style that it was in before she's in bad shape i really feel like we got how weak she was throughout this battle you mentioned the clothing too like the brown strap like the tourniquet that she has around her waist like i immediately was like oh that's like a jedi belt that's exactly right. what i thought too i was like oh it's kind of positioned right in that same yeah and now she's like wearing a jedi cloak or what looks like a jedi cloak and so for me you start to uh, and from a costume perspective i think she's taking going backwards uh from sith or mm. inquisitor to her jedi self right and we see that through the episode and through the fight and let's talk about redemption because this was our one fear going into the finale was that reva was a goner um for the record, uh, you took the losing bet last week when we talked about part five. Can I be super clear? Sure. And it's that just it's because I'm a cynic and it's because I don't want to misplace my hope in anything these days. I am not setting myself <laughs> up to be disappointed ever. Wh- who is it? Am I am I Beckett? Am I Beckett? Please don't kill me. I'm not having my heel turn. I promise. But like. I am not, he's like, don't trust anybody. Everybody's going to disappoint you. That is the position I take when it comes to Star Wars. (laughs) Like I cannot let myself get my expectations up because like TLJ happened and then Tross happened for me. And like, clearly that didn't go so well for me personally. So I was not saying, oh yes, Reva's going to be redeemed and she's going to live because like how, how many times has that happened? How many times has that happened? I need you listener to know that I am standing up. I feel very strongly about this. How many times has it happened? I understand that I'm taking the losing bet. It's because it's because I don't want to be sad. <laughs> no, honestly, though, it was totally fair to take that bet because you're right. We haven't seen living atonement in Star Wars. Let's talk about that. Like every every villain arc has ended in death. Like there's a redemptive act at the very end and and the villain dies. We've seen it with Ben Solo. We've seen it with Vader. We've seen it with IG-11. We've seen it with Trilla. And it was like, oh, please don't add Reva to the list. So you mentioned that like between Vader and Ben Solo and you also mentioned Trilla, like we're conditioned to like really believe that redemption is only something that can be achieved through Darksiders or offered to Darksiders through death. And this is something that we primarily see it on screen, see on screen. Um, so like Trilla is a little bit of an outlier here because she's in a video game. but. Like, that is the primary form of how we understand redemption in Star Wars. And I think that's so messed up. It really frustrates me. But we have other examples of people who have made other choices, like Eureka Quell, uh, Tam Ravora, Captain Doza, Callus. They're all people who forge a new path for themselves and live and work through the decisions that they made. Like Doza was in the Empire. Tam went to the First Order and she came back and was was loved and accepted. You know, Captain Doza is now leading essentially a resistance cell. Um Yurikaquel. Um 
callous, of course. These are all characters that are allowed to be in resistance rebellion circles and to live and move forward and redeem themselves every day by doing the right thing. However, all of those characters I just mentioned are either animated or book characters. So like this hopeful redemption doesn't exist on screen, really. I really believe that Tala and Tala's story, RIP Tala, she did not have to die, but whatever. <laughs> um, like that is what set up, or that is what like primed the audience. That's what primed the audience to believe that Riva could have a living redemption. Because Tala's story, she is a participating, like very directly participating in an execution of like, what she say, 14 people? Yeah, six children. Include, yeah, including six children. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of life lost. And she played a role in that. This is a story that's like powerful and horrific in its own right. But like, we believe in Tala. We believe in her goodness and her determination. And I think it is because we are set up to believe this and then learn this thing about Tala and understand who she is and what brought her here. We are also, as an audience, yeah, being primed to understand that other characters can have this too. Whether it be Vader, whether it be Reva, whether it be anybody else. And so I think this moment with Reva that we get goes back to this Tala line that she says to Reva, that's never who I was. I don't think that Reva's path was ever who she truly was because she didn't get to become a person. She was like, what, no older than 13 when Order 66 happened. She never got to truly find herself. So now she can go forge this path and find out who she truly is. And that, that's the question I've been wondering is like, why did she become an Inquisitor? Or like, how does somebody who like gets nearly killed by Vader like want to then go serve him and i mean obviously she's hunting him right but like to still be willing to recognize that authority and go along with it and i think her conversation with obi-wan is so telling about why she she did that and like why she took those actions she says to him i failed them he killed them all and i couldn't do it and so i'm like okay well that's that's very indicative of like she thought that becoming an inquisitor and like killing adult Jedi and adult Jedi are like kind of the, the ones who left them behind, left the younglings behind, abandoned them, or at least she feels that sense of abandonment. Right. And especially for Obi-Wan, who's emblematic of that, literally being the one to give the message out and say, don't come back to the temple. I think she thinks that she's getting justice and that's what she tells Owen. And so it all kind of clicked for me. Yeah. Anakin, being obi-wan's padawan like obi-wan had a she thinks obi-wan had a very specific responsibility not to let him fall right like where were you obi-wan like mm -hmm. you should have you should have stopped him and so here i think when she's confronted with the choice to kill luke and she's seeing like the image of herself through luke and you had made this point when we were talking is like i don't think she's actually ever killed a child i really don't think she has and i think now she's confronted with that choice and she asks Obi-Wan, like, have I become him? And he says, no. She rose above what Vader did. Vader killed younglings. Like, Vader did a very bad thing. And she made the choice to not do that. And there's a certain imagery of her walking back to the homestead, holding, 
Luke and her arms the same exact way that, you know, 12, 13 years earlier, Anakin walks back to that same homestead holding Shmi Skywalker in his arms the very same way, right? And so whereas Reva is coming back after making the choice not to kill a child, Anakin was coming back in that moment after having killed many Tusken Raiders, including children, Tusken Raiders. So that's the difference between her and Vader is like she rose above his actions. She rose above like the bad things that he's done. And it gives her a second chance. Like Obi-Wan tells her who you become now that is up to you. You are free. We both are like Vader doesn't know Reva's alive. Like, and then, so now she can live this life where she didn't make that regrettable choice or that choice that she can't forget. You can't forget killing a kid like that. You just can't forget that if, if you do that in Star Wars. Right. And so she doesn't have to live with that choice because she doesn't make it. She chooses the light and now is starting her path towards atonement. And it's so freaking beautiful. Like in that moment when they're talking and like Obi-Wan reaches out his hand. Like I, I literally like I cry. Like I, you can't ask for a better scene and the music there is so powerful. Her crying on the ground and Obi-Wan lifts her up. And I think Obi-Wan sees a lot of Anakin in her. Like, she was the one that he could save, but he couldn't save Anakin. But he helps to have Reva see her uh, future. Yes, this is, oh my gosh, I could go a thousand different directions from here. So I'm like trying to just like put my brain together. This scene is one of the best scenes in all of Star Wars ever in any format. I'm I'm not joking. (laughs) I'm not joking. It is, um, guys, it starts at like 3050. I have watched the scene probably 25 times. Literally, the episode ended, and I just watched this scene on repeat at three in the morning. There is um so there's a word I learned in college that has followed me around since uh, my freshman year honors lecture, and that is the word uh, to supplicate or supplication. I hate this as a word. It sounds really gross, but like the, it's the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. And the quote from the Google definition is, he fell to his knees in supplication. I just want to say that's kind of that's kind of happening here. She doesn't get up. She has kind of accepted a bit of, she feels like she has been defeated and she also wants to understand who she is in this moment. So that's like what she's begging for. It's, you know, she's asking for not, she's not asking for forgiveness, but she's asking to be understood. And she's asking, she's wondering if she has a life ahead of her now that she's not made this choice. And I just feel so strongly about this scene. I feel so strongly about how quiet it is. I feel so strongly about how Moses Ingram is just like going through it as an actor. And she is just giving us literally everything in these like micro expressions in her face. I, I like cannot speak highly enough about this scene and, and the, the, the end, I mean, all of the dialogue in the scene, but specifically, have I become him? No. Who you become now, that is up to you. You know what he's giving her? Permission. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, go listen to our Brotherhood review. <laughs> Anyways, go read the Roth's novelization by Matthew yeah. Stover. Yeah, go read the Roth's yeah. novelization, go read Brotherhood, and, and come back to this moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and ouch, you know? Ouch. 
Um, but like for me, this scene really, really is what I believe that Star Wars can be at its very best. And I believe what this scale of fantasy can give us at its very best. And it is a second chance, a real second chance for people we understand have done the wrongest of wrongs in our world. And, and Riva is a member of the team who have done the wrongest of wrongs. And now she gets a second chance, whatever her second chance may lead to. It's important to remember that like Star Wars is fictional. These characters aren't real. This is a story to be told to teach us something, right? If our fictional characters don't get second chances uh, in these fictional worlds where these, fic- where these things are fictionally happening and they're not real and they're all made up, if these people aren't getting second chances, like what hope is there for us in the real world? And like, obviously you and I are not inquisitors. We're not. <laughs> Right. Oh no! Let me deactivate my lightsaber and put it oh, away. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But it, but Star Wars is supposed to teach us like these really fundamental lessons, like, and it's all hyperbole. Like it's in space. It's faking in space. It's just teaching us these lessons about like forgiveness and moving forward and like growing beyond the sum of your mistakes. Like obviously, some mistakes are are worse than others in the real world. But again, at its very core, it's just a lesson about if you make a mistake, it's okay and you can have a second chance. Like, don't squander that second chance. Like, you have to move forward. So, to have seen so many Star Wars stories that, like, especially for Ben Solo and something that I I really, like, I felt so sad about was that, like, Ben Solo almost had a second chance and he wasn't given that. So, like, we didn't really get to see the beautiful person he could become. Avatar The Last Airbender is a great story of atonement. Zuko is a character who does horrible things, but he (laughs) he ends up like living out his days as a friend to the Avatar and helping to unite the Fire Nation and like all the other nations together. And like he does the work like he's not just like immediately forgiven, like he does the work to to get there. Like Reva is going to have to do the work like people are not going to know what Reva did on Tatooine. Right. And like people weren't going to know what Ben Solo had did, had done in the depths of Exegol. Had he lived, he would have had to earn it. He would have had to show it. Right. And so I think there are in fiction, you still do face the consequences of your actions, but you don't literally have to be put on trial. Like you don't literally have to have those things happen to you like they would in the real world. Like it's all fiction and it's just supposed to make you feel good and make you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what the story with Reva did for me. If I might derail for one second, I did sure. read a Raylo fan fiction once where Ben Solo was put on trial by the New Republic, and it was genuinely one of the best fics I've ever read in my life. It was very interesting um, because, of course, uh, Leia was there. Um, it was yeah. like a post post TLJ kind of a vibe, um, and it can be done well. Like those things can be done well, but like, oh yeah, I just wanted to, to-, to treat fictional characters like real world people is like to me is just so bizarre. Like it's not a one to one thing. Well, yeah, know? it's it's fiction Fantasy. helps us fiction helps us deal with our big emotions and like deal with them complexly. And I really feel like this scene allows us to, to work through an emotion differently. 
than we have in other Star Wars media. And I really, really appreciate that. And I think it also leaves so much room for dozens of other Reva stories where we get to understand her and know her. Um, and I did see a tweet. I regret that I don't know who it's from anymore, but somebody said, I, I have a feeling that Reva's story doesn't end well, you know, even though she has this redemption moment. And I think the person who replied to that person was like, well, it doesn't need to end well. And, and that's okay because she's been given a second chance. We all know that, you know, the, the Jedi are living in a time of peril already here so she would also be living in a time of peril and might not end happily for her but she gets the opportunity to try again um and can i i if i may and i will disclaim that i am going to be reading a sentence or multiple sentences from the last chapter of victory's price by alexander free the last book in the alphabet squadron trilogy so if you do not want to hear this if you do not want to like know this quote skip ahead a couple minutes and i will be done talking about it but i am disclaiming that i'm going to read it it is from a character okay okay cool this whole thing is so very final chapter of victory is pricey to me and i absolutely live for it and this is a quote from mom mothma i believe in justice i also believe that for a galaxy to survive reconciliation must occur. The new Republic will not hold together if we spend the next 10 or 20 or 50 years divided into rebel and imperial yet true second, pardon me, yet true reconciliation requires honesty. It requires we stare at what we've done as a civilization and come to terms with it. Uh, this is something specific to the book, but the data bank can help, but only if the Senate and the galaxy at large has the appetite for self-examination over revenge and i know a little bit about is is specific to the events of uh post return of the jedi however reconciliation must recur where reconciliation requires honesty and it can only happen if we have the appetite for self-examination over revenge and i think that that last part right there is what's key to reva's story she's going to do the self-examination she's going to understand better what brought her to the inquisitorius what brought her to living the life that she did for the past decade and understand how to move forward and i think it is telling that throughout the stories that we've gotten in Star Wars of the New Republic, of the rebels, of the resistance, is that they are people who are willing to forgive as long as you are willing to fight the fight and be there and show up. And I think that there is a place for Reva. Maybe not in the resistance or the path or rebellion or any of these things, but my point being, I think there are people out there in the galaxy who are willing to let her work for it. And that they would trust her. I believe, I firmly believe that. Anyway, I'm going to cry. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that last sentence though is also important because like, what does the, the Grand Inquisitor tell her? Revenge does wonders for the will to live, right? Don't you so, think? And, and, don't you think? Yeah. And so in Reva's eyes, that's what keeps her alive when she gets stabbed the second time is revenge. Like I want yeah. revenge now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what actually ends up keeping her alive is the self-examination. She chooses that over revenge. It's, it's tying back to this quote. And I think the idea of revenge is so important. It's the revenge of the Sith. So it's really wonderful to see her have that appetite for self-examination and to, again, like understand that she's done some bad things, but like, she wants to fight to make them better. It ties back to Obi-Wan 
And Tala, when Tala tells him, like, you can't forget the things you've done, but you can fight. And I think Reva is a fighter. She's just going to fight in a new way. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really beautiful. And and speaking of fighting in a new way, I think we can we kind of move on to the the next next portion of the episode here. If you have any other things to say. Um, I do just want to close with like, if anybody ever wants to talk to me about this scene, I literally will do it any time of day, any day of the week, any day of the year, call me up on Christmas morning. It's fine. I'm always happy to talk <laughs> about redemption, like yeah. tattoo it on my forehead. I, I cannot believe that Joby Harold and Deborah Chow and Kathleen Kennedy and Jose Domini and, and, uh, Andrew Stanton, all the, all the parties involved, all the parties involved in whatever way they were involved had this story choice in mind and went with it and I executed it so beautifully. And, um, I have such gratitude for that choice. And I only hope that this is the beginning of what, what we're seeing from Riva. I, I really would love to see her in more stories in any capacity. Okay. I have already said almost all of those things. I really just could talk about the same two talking points in a circle for an hour and a half, um, about this one singular scene. So I will stop talking now. I, I will stop talking now, but redemption for life. Well, like I said, Reva is a fighter, but also uh, Leia. My little fighter. I love her. <laughs> so we, we skip over to Tatooine or to Alderaan. Excuse me. Alderaan is where we go. And we see little Leia putting the comb in her hair. She's putting on her gloves, putting on her boots, putting on the holster. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so damn cute. Like I, I really just want to cry every time. I see little Leia like she's just so adorable. Let's talk about like the whole story specifically for just a single second. Oh yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi gives little Leia Tala's holster cute tears. You were talking about in what episode three or four about how three, right? Yeah. <laughs> about how Tala is an influence to Leia when she asks her you know, is it scary to pretend? And this, this moment where she receives this gift from Tala, even though Tala is gone, is like just gorgeous and full circle and makes me really, really emotional. And then also you fast forward to the comics where Leia, you know, a decade later is wearing a holster and I'm like, she never forgot the lesson she learned from Tala. Mm hmm. And like, again, enough to make me cry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Say more. <laughs> I, I, I love Obi-Wan being like, I wasn't going to give you a blaster. You're only 10 years old, you know? And she gives a little goes, smile back. And, and, then, and then he goes, but you won't always be. And I was like, yeah. you know, fine. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Episode really knew how to make me cry to the point of like no tears left in my body. Um, but I, I, I love when Brea walks in and goes, is that a holster? <laughs> And Leia kind of gives her the puppy dog eyes and Brea says, I love it. Right. And I think that's just so awesome that she is embracing who Leia is and letting Leia be her own sort of leader and trusting her to carve that path for herself. And she tells mm -hmm. Bale, you said there are many ways to lead. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to want to change a few things. She's and he like, says, she's the spunkiest kid in the whole galaxy. Yeah. And uh, he replies, then let's change things together. And I, I think there is like a larger subtext there of like, 
you know, we're going to change how you lead. Like you're going to get more involved, but at the same time, like let's change things. Let's change the galaxy. Like they're going to start rebellion that wins a war and like brings a new Republic. Right. And I think that's sort of the larger narrative at play. It's key in this moment. Like Leia has that direct influence of Obi-Wan and Tala on her and all the people that she's helped and met on Jabim and on the transport, right? Like she has like shown leadership qualities throughout the whole series. Yeah. Um, even though she has to get rescued at one point, like she is a leader in her own right. And she is ready to lead. Like she's going to become like the Leia and Rebels and like the Leia and and the original trilogy and then general Leia, like leading a resistance, like doing what Bale did for her in her childhood, like starting a rebellion. Like she carries on that legacy. And it's it's really beautiful. I love it. I love I it. It's yeah. so soft. It's so sweet. <laughs> um, I I it just it it just it just kills me. Speaking of Leia and and objects, do we have we gone the whole hour and a half here without having talked about Lola and the Lola realization oh, yeah. that we came to earlier? Yes. Uh, so I was watching it for the fourth time, and many more to come. And on my fourth watch, I realized, I was like, how did, how did, how did Lola get into Obi-Wan's robe? Yeah, yeah. It's Haja. Guys, it's Haja. He slips it into Obi-Wan's robe because there's a, there's a scene where Haja and Leia are like squatting down, they're talking and you hear Lola's chirps and then they stop very suddenly and you kind of see a little bit of shuffling. And then he's like, he kind of gives her like the, the, the finger is like, I'm going to handle this sort of thing. And he walks over to Obi-Wan. He goes, I talked to her. You're welcome. And he gets very close to Obi-Wan and you kind of see a little bit of hand movement. That's when he slips it into Obi-Wan's pocket. And then you were saying that he does that because he knows it's going to have to Obi-Wan's force Obi-Wan's to hand. Keep his promise. Yeah. yeah. It's going to make Obi-Wan keep his promise to come back because he wouldn't have otherwise done it. Because he was ready to say goodbye. He even tells, he tells Leia to tell Bale, tell your father I tried. Yeah. So okay. Haja, right? Like the, the trickster, the, the sleight of hand. Like I'm like, of course it's Haja to slip Lola into the pocket, right? And I really do like the whole idea of um, Lola being something, uh, being an object or a source of joy for people when they're scared, right? And so... Here is Obi-Wan about to face down Vader and he finds it and is like smiling, you know, like right before what is probably probably going to be like the hardest battle he's ever faced, like possibly even more than the Battle of the Heroes. Um, and I, I got to imagine that that had a huge role in Obi-Wan remembering to think of Leia when he's like being buried alive. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Like, remember that light in the dark. The light in the yeah. dark. <laughs> it's it's right there. And I think that people have wondered, okay, what happens to Lola? What happens to Lola? Like we we know that she doesn't have Lola, I think, by the time of Leia Princess of Alderaan, much less the original trilogy. And I know I'm now doing some speculation in the middle of our discussion, but I really think I just had this thought. I really think that she gave it away to somebody who might have really needed it in that moment. Because mm -hmm. maybe she grew a few years older and she knew that it could give comfort to somebody else. Yeah. Oh gosh. And I love how Lola's in the holster too at the end. So I was like, great. She's got a she's got a perfect place. Perfect it's place so for Lola. Cute. It's so cute. Oh my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> uh it's fine. It's fine. It's just the cutest thing I've ever seen. 
I want to talk about some of these lines from Bale because I just transcribed the whole episode because I'm insane. Um, Bale says, I fear for her future. Obi-Wan replies, well, if you ever need help, my help again, you know where to find me. Bale says, let's hope that day never comes. Rip. And it's so sad to think that that day will ultimately come. Um, all that they've worked hard for will be on the line. The Battle of Scarif, um, the Death Star blowing up Alderaan. Um, they fight They fight to the, real, the, the, the very end, just like, you know, Owen and, and Baru. And uh, when, when Obi-Wan talks to, to Leia, she says, will I ever see you again? Um, echoing the words of her father to her grandmother when little Jake Lloyd tells Shmi Skywalker, will I ever see you again? Oh, ouch. Just heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching. And Obi-Wan says, maybe, someday, if you ever need help from a tired old man, but we must be careful. No one must know or could endanger us both. And it adds this wonderful context to like, why is Leia so incordial when she sends the message to Obi-Wan? Like years ago, you fought my father. You fought alongside my father in the Clone Wars. Like, no, you had a whole show where you met him. Right. But Leia is keeping that in mind. Like she has to keep that connection a secret. She has to keep the fact that they know each other and have worked together a secret um, because it could endanger them if if not. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. And it's obviously a foreshadowing of, of a new hope. And this is, this is planting the seed of, oh, I should contact Ben Kenobi when the time is right. Like when we're passing by Tatooine and I got to slip these Death Star plans to the droid, get it to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, wonderful. Again, like adding that, that new layer to a new hope. I cannot, we should do a new hope episode. That's all I'm saying. Like we should go rewatch a new hope and just like go to town on that movie. Cause like, I'm really excited to revisit it. I am too. And I'm like, well, why we should do it literally tomorrow. Right now. You know, right now. Right now. Um, And then we're (laughs) going to do an Empire Strikes Back episode. And then next Friday, I'm going to see Return of the Jedi live with the orchestra playing. So we are going to do Return of the Jedi next Friday. So just like there's a schedule setting it out. Um, Listeners, it's not actually happening. We're so busy. It's ridiculous. But we will (laughs) do it. We'll we'll do a new hope episode at some point. Um, But uh, can we can we talk about like all my dreams ever coming true? Um, Yes, please. I mean, we've already talked about that a bit in this episode with between Redemption and between the cracked mask, weird voice thing that happens. That's perfect. Um, Bale and Obi-Wan hugged. They did. They did. Like um, a good hug, too. Like a good, a good hug. You know, that was just, it was very affectionate. I really appreciate it when my characters have emotions, whether they're affectionate or they're crying or both. Um that was a really great moment for me when my dads decided that they would hug it out. <laughs> when my space parents decided that was the right thing to do. And yeah. um, Bale says we can never repay. Is that Bale or is it Bria? Uh, Bale says that, yeah. Okay, so I thought. Bale says we can never repay you. And um, Obi-Wan looks to Leia and says, well, she has already done that. And it's just like, <gasps> hope survives. <laughs> just keep saying that i'm gonna be like waking up in a cold sweat at night and hope survives like just the night terrors of like not having new obi-wan episodes haunting me every week Ugh, it's gonna be brutal it turns on the andor trailer to feel something like, <laughs> hope um, survives yeah, yeah rebellions yeah. are built um, on hope so i guess that's that 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 theme is continuing um into of andor. course it's amazing it's we're really i mean we were in we were in a real like hopey hope moment um, in like what, 2016, 2017, between 
the end of Rogue One and like all of Tra or not Tross, TLJ, like super hopey, like big, big theme, big ideas here. Yeah. And then it like it like hasn't been as prominent in some of the like the the shows that are happening. It's just not like the biggest theme that they're touching on. And then and then Leia comes back onto the scene and everybody's like, Hope is back, baby. Like, <laughs> and and then we're going back into a Rogue One timeline where it's like, rebellions are built on hope, kind of a vibe, of course. And so that's going to continue. And man, I'm so glad we're both back in the golden age of hope. Like, I, yes. it was, I think we made memes out of it, like 26, 2017, because it was so silly. And like at the end of Rogue One, she goes, like, what have, what have they given you? And she turns around and goes, hope. And that's like the end of the movie, right? So we were laughing about that because you're like, that's so on the nose when it comes to theming. But I love it when this particular theme is on the nose. Like, I know that's so silly, but I'm like, yes, just say hope a lot. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of hope survives, like, let's talk about like what the hope is. And that brings us to Luke, Leia, but also the people that are raising Luke and Leia, because Ultimately, like these two twins don't get to a point where they can save the rebellion, save the dream, unless they have the right, the right theaters in their life and the right guardians and the people to like guide them on that path. And let's start with Leia, uh, Obi-Wan's parting gifts to her. And um, I don't know about you, but like when I was watching it and he, he sits down with her and he's like, Leia, and I was like, oh God, what's going to happen? He goes what i said before and i was like god no they're gonna go back to the back to the parents no 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 and he did and i was like just completely ruined just completely ruined um how did you feel like when when he started talking about padme and anakin no no i can't the answer woman that was question. too stunned to speak <laughs> i can't uh, answer the question <laughs> Well, let's, um, yeah. Oh, uh, when I say that there are like two and a half of the greatest scenes that have ever happened in Star Wars, this is the half because it like yeah. it, it's so emotionally manipulative to me and you and people like us very specifically. It's not like an all time greatest scene, but it is like an all time high in emotions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. You're like, how could there be anything better than this newfound um, relationship between Leia and Obi Wan, and then Obi Wan sharing the memories of um of her parents directly to her we didn't get a name drop padme we didn't get a name drop anakin to her of course not but oh my god for if you are a lover of anakin and padme if you love the prequels if you love leia this is the moment to sob your eyes out oh yeah r.i.p all of us this killed me yeah, so let's let's walk through the let's walk through the lines here. So Obi Wan says, "You are wise, discerning, kind-hearted. These are qualities that came from your mother, but you're also passionate and fearless, forthright, and these are gifts from your father. Both were exceptional people who bore an exceptional daughter. I wish hey. I could tell you more." And she looks over at Bale and Brea, and she says, "It's okay. You don't have to." And, uh, and nobody, that, that, that just me. that wrecks me, right? Because you think at the beginning of the series where Leia's having a struggle of like, people tell me I'm not a real Organa, right? And she yeah. knows that she comes from other parents. And now here at the end of the series, she's finally learning about those other parents and like learning the qualities that they instilled in her. And she's like, actually, I'm good. I don't need to know. I know I'm a real Organa. Like those are my people right there. Like I, I like obviously like respect and love to my real parents but like also like my adoptive parents she's coming to be confident in like her 
love and adoration for them and also like her feeling of belonging within the organa structure right i think she's really come to terms with that and she's like i am leia organa right and even ben tells her that's her name like princess leia organa of alderaan like he gives her the whole spiel and she's like yeah that's me so guys if you found yourself not ugly sobbing at the scene what i would like you to do is watch little leia's nose and i while this is happening because it is her attempting not to cry while she's hearing this from obi-wan and it is brutal to watch because you can tell it is affecting her very emotionally but she's she's finding some confidence in it at the same time like it's sad but it's confident and like it's 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 such a sweet and sincere and like really good performance from vivian lyra blair i just i am obsessed with this moment i'm obsessed with the way that everybody reacts to it and i'm obsessed with the way that she looks to um her parents and says i don't i don't need to hear more because i've got them you know and and i think that's a a change you mentioned that it's kind of a change for her and her confidence in the love of her parents and just feeling confident in who she is as an organa but also like her parents are seeing her in a new way too and we see that from the past you know three minutes of the show and it's so beautiful and and really special overall. And uh, yes, I will try not to talk about it more because if I do, I will have a breakdown on the pod. <laughs> well, let's talk about the other set of adoptive parents because I think if anything, the show really hit home how important these two parents are. Like we talk so much about Anakin and Padme, but like the fact that they couldn't have left their children with other people. And it's also just now making the end of rots feel even warmer. Right. Um, Like, okay, we know they're in good hands. Like we know who these people are because we've seen them developed now throughout all these stories. So we're really getting that, that nuance, but Obi-Wan, you know, moves out of the, moves out of the cave. He's got the mythos outfit on, which, uh, well, we uh, comic form is coming to life. He's got the goggles. He's got the he's got the vests. Uh, how he's, he's how vest. do we get Obi Wan mythos in? Yeah, like no, I'm sorry, no. It's too good. It's it's, it's so really good. It's great. his best it's, look. It might be his really best look great. actually. Like honestly, it, it's pretty good because he's wearing the prequel robes, the tabards, plus like, oh god, the backpack and everything. It's just so good. It's so it's, good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So he goes to the homestead and this is like one of the most important conversations of the show, I think, and of just like anything in Star Wars, honestly. Obi-Wan says, you were right. He just needs to be a boy. The future will take care of itself. The only protection he needs now is you and Baru. Take good care of him. And I, I, I was kind of reading Owen's body language when obi-wan first rides up on the camp and it seems like he's sort of like a like a what now like can we not take care of this ourselves can we not be self-sufficient can we not raise the boy in the way that we want to raise him right and it's like at the beginning of the show when owen tells him like stay away you just care if he's showing like let us be parents and obi-wan's like no he must be trained like the boy is gonna be come of age right and now here obi-wan's saying like the forest wills it as it needs to be willed destiny awaits it will happen how it has to happen and Obi-Wan's kind of throwing that agency and that responsibility back on the Baru family or Baru, the Baru family, uh, the Lars family. <laughs> Honestly, yes. <laughs> Actually, though, um, 
she runs that household let me tell you uh she, he's throwing that that back on them because he trusts them and is like i'm not going to undermine your guys's parenting like you are his parents like i knew his father yes but like that doesn't mean i know how to raise the boy any more than you do uh, and clearly i've made mistakes when trying to like raise anakin into a padawan right and like kind of form him into this like alleged chosen one and like put all that pressure on him and like look where it got anakin right that's where that's where owen says like like you trained his father you know oof and Still so one Obi-Wan's... of the biggest burns ever to happen in the century it, right al- up, right up alongside there with the burning of anakin himself <laughs> but i think obi-wan's realizing like yeah no he's right because if i try to do the same thing to luke where's that gonna lead me um probably nowhere probably back to to the same the same result and i think uh obi-wan's now taking the back seat and he's gonna move to the hut out beyond the dune sea and he's going to really only intervene when necessary i don't think he's going to see luke and leia again until a new hope i think it's possible he sees luke from time to time well not he sees like him a, from afar in rebels right like yeah not in like a uh like a friendly sense but he might see him in town from time to time or passing by and they you know my mom says there are neighbors you talk to you stop and talk to there are neighbors you wave at and then your neighbors you just drive by <laughs> um and i feel like he might be like a neighbor you wave at yeah you know um and so he meets him he knows who he is he might have an opinion of him that he builds up over time uh or luke of obi-wan because he's a little kooky but like he's a neighbor you wave at and you're friendly with but not one that you know super well you're not inviting them to dinner Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i I assume he sees him okay so uh, i think after all of that obi-wan's growth is is really shown owen recognizes it owen feels like oh wow he didn't come here just to reprimand me he came here to say have it all do it your way Mm -hmm. and that's pretty that's pretty cool um you want to meet him (laughs) Uh, (laughs) oh man i don't don't know about you which i went oh my god they haven't met yeah i didn't think about that genuinely didn't Mm. think about that it's just the way that you know obi-wan grabs the toy which we i had had mentioned i thought that would come back around and yeah i love um when he walks up to luke and like luke stands up and he has this like giant smile on his face like he's meeting this like kind of mythical figure that he knows nothing about but has seen like stop by every now and then um and uh, you know obi-wan says it (laughs) hello there which like it's so cheesy, but again, it's deserved it. And I think also it's like, it is really calling to when he says it in A New Hope, when it, it makes me think like, you know, Luke is dazed and confused after his encounter with the Tuscans, and like Obi-Wan saying like, hello there is like supposed to remind him of like, hey, this is a friendly figure. Like this is the, like the person that you knew as a kid who like, your you're like you know owen and baru i know you're smiling you hate this line i know no, no, I'm, I'm enjoying your joy about it and i don't hate the line i just i hate i hate how aware the camera is of the line's meme status yeah that's it i also just wish it was either a beat shorter so like the camera wasn't panning in the entire time we were getting hello there or that we heard luke say hello back yeah either like a beat shorter or a beat longer i just don't like how the what the camera is doing in this specific moment yeah i could see that like a little a little shorter of a zoom up yeah yeah i'm enjoying your joy about it and of course like of course we're all waiting to hear the hello there 
You know, like it's, it is the meme. It is the iconic line. It right. is the like, moment. It is you, the drama. You don't bring Ewan McGregor back and give him a paycheck without not that. have him say hello there. You yeah. know, um, it, it is a sweet moment because it is this this moment. You're right that that Luke gets to recall back to and go, oh, this is a friendly face. Um, and it also is just I mean, you know, that one meme of everybody in the bar and it's like. Uh, image from way up in the bar and there's like a big screen and then people just like put whatever image on that big screen yeah I could barely, you... yeah I, could, I haven't seen one with hello there yet but i, oh, I, did. Yeah, I saw it today on tiktok oh, somebody, somebody sent it to you yeah well, i don't have yeah. tiktok so that's why okay um, but I'll, I'll it to you. <laughs> i was like that's that's what i imagine everybody in their houses that like it was past it was past the um leonardo dicaprio pointing at the screen moment and it became like the everybody cheering in the bar sort of moment so like i totally get why they did it this way i just am very cynical about the cameras pan up zoom in into it because i'm like this is too much <laughs> but you know i i love your joy about it and i know that i i am absolutely the outlier here and i had a good time with it anyway it was one of those things where i was like oh star wars is so dumb love it yeah it's just like one of those things that i will i will die on the hill that i love this and it's it's so stupid but i love it so much um mm -hmm. so that's kind of where i've landed with it yeah yeah it's fun it's fun you're right yeah. it does this show is allowed to have fun i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so speaking of fun there's one more fun thing that happens here um so we finally get the oh oh the ending uh obi-wan riding into the sunset and i'm like oh i guess we're not we're not getting the, the payoff did on you really think it was not gonna I don't know. I, I was clowning a little bit. I was getting worried. You know, we've been let down from Star Wars before. So I was like, okay, well, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. And then we see the Force ghosts appear and sassy Qui-Gon and in in, in not in the flesh, uh, but in a, a form, <laughs> a cosmic form. Well, it took you long enough. <laughs> and I love how people have been calling out how his like full Irish accent is coming through as Qui-Gon now. Like, <laughs> I think that's so funny. Um, but Obi-Wan says, beginning to think you never come. And he says, I was always here, Obi-Wan. You just were not ready to see. Come on. We've got a ways to go. And in this moment, my friends, Brian and Katie were dying. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> Brian, but also Katie. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as this is a moment to wrap up the thread of him trying to reach out to Qui-Gon throughout the whole series, I think it's also pointing to something that you had caught on to earlier when we talked about the line from part three from Quinlan uh, that on the wall was written where it said, only when the eyes are closed, can you truly see? And then Leia's like, see what? He's like the way, right? And I, I think this whole series has been about Obi-Wan having his eyes closed and having his eyes opened, having that confidence restored, having that hope restored. Um, and, and Qui-Gon saying, you are not ready to see, right? The word see is very specific. And this idea of like, you know, you see the way, the way forward, like there's a path, the whole, the whole organization is called the path, right? And the final shot of the series is him riding off literally like on a path through the mountains, uh, a new way of living, a new way that he can follow, uh, more growth for him coming on the horizon right and so it's the sort of entryway into a new part of his life that now you know i was once that it's like the song i was once blind but now i see right and so that's why he's seeing qui-gon it's like he's entering a new era he's become the general he's become the mythological figure again um 
it's really cool it's really cool so as much as a like a cameo thing it is like it's also like very thematic and like very oh, mythical and like it's a hundred percent paying off what they set up so it's yeah it's, and it makes thematic sense across the saga because we know that you know obi-wan has been searching or seeking to communicate with qui-gon for a decade now you know like it, it makes total sense it's not just a cameo um not at all and yeah i was i was like we were talking in episode, if you go back to episode three and I was like, ha, ah, this is about Qui-Gon. We're leading, we're leading to Qui-Gon. Uh, and it's about, you know, when you're ready to see. Uh, and I'm so glad it paid off in that way. And then you, we, this is what, how we were talking on the phone. Like you were like, oh yes. And then he's going down this path. And then I was like, okay, well, this path is one that's in this vast desert, but he's going down this very narrow path forward through the mountains. Uh, and so there's both this, um, wealth of potential um but also like a wealth of potential with how vast Tatooine is and the sand and the dune sea and all that and then also this like straight and narrow path he's going to follow forward it's the hope survives of it all it is the i know my purpose again and that's the path i'm going to follow down with Qui-Gon and, and with myself mm -hmm. and with the force and um i just think it's a very powerful very clear uh clearly thematic image um yeah qui-gon qui-gon's return hilarious amazing love it can't complain <laughs> really yeah. didn't happen where i thought it was going to happen really didn't have the same uh energy that i thought it was going to have but like i feel great about it it really works yeah it really worked for me um i'm so happy that we got qui-gon is cool seeing liam neeson after all these years hands on the hip like typical qui-gon pose um and obviously reading master and apprentice now uh from claudia gray uh not the book not only her her adult book but the short story and the um, anthology uh, which from a certain are point of not view. even confusingly uh, not even a little bit confusingly both titled master and apprentice <laughs> yeah yeah it's like she was trying to tell us something she's like hey guys i'm writing a book too same title um it's just again like the way that the series wrapped was just really beautiful and i think now we can kind of talk about the future as we uh, approach two hours here um wow this is our longest tv discussion uh, okay ever. please you were like it's gonna be two hours i could yeah. even do three hours no i'm just but i I'm have proud. to sleep that's yeah, what you were saying you have to sleep unfortunately <laughs> okay so there's a couple things on the horizon right so first off is like the rumors or the like not even like rumors but people like hoping that maybe we get a reva spinoff series which is now a possibility give it to me her yeah give it to me i think that should be the obvious choice um it's like how when people say like make another solo movie but like really they mean like oh like make a movie but like with like kira you know <laughs> right 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 <laughs> so it's yeah, like this oh, is we exactly want, it. we want obi-wan season two but really we want to just Literally be like just a reva story, the story. Well, like yeah i would gladly take more like ewan obviously but um, and and bale and little leia and little luke and owen i would take i would take more of all of these characters but i yeah, really just want to see Riva. <laughs> like people have said like oh 10 years from now like make princess of alderaan into a show like with vivian blair like grown up 10 more years that would not, be cool. not even 10 years it's like that's like five years off five yeah. and a half years off they could do it. Give Jimmy Schmitz and, and Simone Kessel and, and Vivian Lyra Blair. Do it, please. Um, I would die considering how wonderful that story is. And then and then we get like get her writing in her diary the last line of that book. And then we just all cry together. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah i will say on the possibility of a Reva spinoff series though i would like to highlight this tweet and i did copy it over i know who it's from guys it's from jaris at jaris sandula they say i hope reva lived long enough to see luke skywalker become one of the greatest jedi and rebuild the order she lost it's okay i'm fine heartbreak uh, that was my that was my commentary at the end but i saw that and like my jaw hit the floor um yeah because it is it is it is directly her choice not to kill him that allows him to move forward and like live like obviously but like it's a poss- it's a genuine possibility that she does live long enough to see that happen yeah and like speaking to of like return of the jedi parallels both part six and episode six have uh somebody showing mercy to an enemy uh and i think it's really interesting that reva shows mercy to luke and then luke shows mercy to vader it's like a it's a circle it's a circle mm-hmm. there i just find that very interesting but yes please give me a reva series um moses ingram deserves the world um, and I would love to see more of her in Star Wars. She's so good in this. She's so good yeah. as Riva. I, I, she is like an act, like a genuine superstar of an actress. I cannot wait for her to be cast in literally everything. Yeah. So speaking of season two, though, um, I know Deborah Chow and Kathleen Kennedy have just talked about it, but um, Deborah had said that there has to be a quote real reason. Um, Kathleen kind of echoed some of the same. She said, you know, if there's huge engage- engagement, we'll certainly give that consideration because the fans they speak to us. Um, and she also used the phrasing, uh, quote, real reason. So it really seems like they are trying to hit home that like, this is meant to be a limited series. This is what we intended to do. Um, and I think they are, I think this is kind of the, t- the, the like nice legal talk to say, we're not closing the door on that possibility. Probably not going to get a season two for this, but we're not going to close the door on the possibility of it. Um, I think it's more likely that we are going to get a Reva spinoff or maybe some other secondary characters involved with some stuff like Roken, who, I mean, he literally said, I'm just getting started. So like, he, he's coming back. Like in the next 10 years, but like in, in sort of ancillary content or like major content, he's literally going to be one of the major players in the formation of the early rebellion. And I would be so surprised if he does not become that. Like he ha- he's so primed to be that person. Um, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, or Haja too, right? I think I think both of those are easy candidates maybe for like an Andor season two as the rebellion kind of gets closer and closer to Rogue One. Um, those would be really cool characters to see be involved. Yeah, so. sign me up, sign me up. Um, but I, I, you you say that it's like the legal jargon for Kathleen Kennedy and, and, and Deborah Chow. I don't know, because I don't think that this Obi-Wan Kenobi show was a uh, given. It came from Ewan saying, yeah, I'll come back, and everybody asking Ewan to come back. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm not saying it's not possible. I think it's just like a, they're trying not to say like, oh, no, this is it. They're trying to like keep oh, the possibility open for sure, right? Sure. Like they don't, they don't want to like give a quote that like suppresses all of the engagement around the series because they're like, oh, not happening. Sure. Um, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I would, I mean. I'm I'm in agreement. If there's a real reason for there to be a season two, um, I will take it. However, I think that there cannot be, there absolutely cannot be another Vader no. Obi Wan duel. Like that cannot happen. So, um, if you're gonna do it, it needs to just at that point would have to be like Ewan McGregor on Tatooine, like maybe more of a a Mando style show that's like Adventures of Obi Wan, and it's like each week he's dealing with like a new thing or like 
like he's dealing with the huts or like we see like black Kersantan, like from the comics, like stuff like that, I think would be really cool to see like from his perspective, like living it out. Um, but again, like it could not include Vader basically. So, yeah. And I think it could include like Bale. Oh yeah, for sure. But like, yeah, it can include, can include somebody like Vader. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we shall see future holds all. Um, I think I'm really sad. I'm also really sad, but like, I think Andor is going to give us some of these same feelings, even if they're not like rooted in the idea of the force. Like, I think they're going to give us same, some of the same really energized feelings that we've gotten from this show. And I can't wait. And I think it was uh, Mike G who tweeted like, okay, so you enjoyed Obi-Wan. Think about the fact that Andor has the potential to be even better. And so I was like, exactly, exactly. So like, I think we're set up for some continued good stuff tm vader could appear in andor season two krennic could appear right like oh my I mean, god they better bring krennic back the imperials could play a huge part um i don't think in season one but season two for sure so um we'll see what happens um, bail could again, be back bria yeah, could bail, be back bail's definitely coming back for andor like that's a that's a given he has to he has to. he's in rogue one like he's coming back you know yeah if he doesn't um, if we yeah. get through two seasons of andor and bail doesn't show up i'm literally going to myself and eric i was then are going to like look at each other look at lucasfilm and be like what happened well i mean we see the shot of mothma in the senate so i mean bail is a senator so i'm sure he's in session so it's happening it's happening it's gotta happen okay that's yeah. it i'm done bye this is a this is a kenobi show <laughs> Well, we're approaching uh, two hours and 10 minutes here. So um, I just, I don't know. I don't want the conversation to end, but we got to end somewhere. So I think we've said a lot of really thoughtful things about the series. And like, if it's not clear enough, like our enthusiasm and our excitement and joy for it is just like through the damn roof. Um, yeah, it's kind of absurd. Genuinely, yeah. like somebody tell us to pipe down and be normal <laughs> <laughs> it's the most engaged i've i've felt with live action star wars since uh last jedi to be honest and again i love yeah. everything that we've gotten in between for the most part but it is really the most like intellectually stimulating uh show or thing on screen that i've i've gotten since maybe outside of rebels and um visions so there's a lot of good star wars and i'm really happy that as a prequel fan, um, all of our dreams had come true this, this time. And, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of being seen and, uh, felt to be important and validated, uh, for so long, the prequels were shied away from and not even recognized in any, anything really, it felt like. And now we got a whole damn show about them. Basically episode 3.5. And again, episode 3.5 was really good guys. Yeah. The, the perfect trilogy now is rots, Obi-Wan and a new hope <laughs> until, until Andor comes out and then it's going to be uh rogue one and or, or and or rogue one. And then a new hopes so that'll, Oh shit. Yeah, we're going to get some really good Star Wars trilogies. <laughs> because right now the greatest Star Wars trilogy is the force awakens, the last Jedi and the love hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> Or Loki. <laughs> Loki, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, no shade, I, no shade. I, I, no, I say that in jest uh, because we just love those other things. But um, oh my god, the potential, the potential. Oh my god. Or could could the greatest trilogy be Rots, Kenobi, Andor? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? 
it's gonna have available. like all new sorts of machete orders oh my god call up the sky talkers it's time to make a new one yeah <laughs> <laughs> these are part of the skywalker saga in my mind now oh absolutely yeah no this show is is essential to the skywalker saga in my opinion yeah no. yeah 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 i think that's why also they like kept with the theming like the blue credits i think so too i think know? so too they're so weird about that because you know solo is different than rogue one and rogue one is different than uh the the saga movies and then i think they were been trying they've been trying to figure it out and i think they just have to figure out one solid thing for this story the kind of story that they want to tell and i think this was exactly right for this story yeah Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end, yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything more we can really say that we haven't already said for two hours. But thank you all for listening. Um, I don't know if this will be the last episode of the Kenobi keynote. Again, maybe we'll get more. It's not. We're going to talk about Kenobi again, and we'll just like slap the label on it and be like, it's the Kenobi keynote bonus episode, guys. Yeah, (laughs) maybe we'll get the Reva series, and then we'll have Reva Radio. So um, you heard it here first, um, people. Um, Don't take that name. It's ours. kind of good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, trademark, Friends of the Force. Uh, Reva Radio, Reva Recap. Reva Rewind. Reva Rewind. Ooh. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah, we claim all those, by the way, so you can't use them now. <laughs> no. Uh, but also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, it takes thought power to think of those. Uh, no, really, though, I'm, I'm really happy that we got to talk about this for the last couple of weeks, and it is the end of an era. So um, if you've enjoyed the Kenobi keynote, if you've enjoyed this podcast in general, make sure to be following us on Twitter and Instagram. Get all the latest updates on what's going on, as well as subscribing to our podcast feed. Leave a five-star written review if you could. Helps other folks find the show. And join the the keynote, the Kenobi keynote, and the other things that we're talking about here on the podcast. Yeah, but we want to make sure we pack that lecture hall, you know? Yeah. We don't want to leave any seats empty. We want to make sure everybody hears the keynote. To capacity, but within the fire code guidelines. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we also have a Patreon and we are so, so grateful for all of our patrons for continuingly every month helping to make this show happen. So thank you to Amy, Anna, Brian, Brian, Carol, Cheryl, Clay, Danny, Davis, Dylan, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Huang, Jen, Knights of Friend, Levi, Leanne, Lucy, Lindsay, Luke, Randy, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Skytalkers, Travis, and T. Thank you all very much for your support and thank you everyone who listens for your support and for coming back week after week we appreciate you very much uh and hope you enjoyed kenobi just as much as we did yes and a special thank you as well to our newest patron steven thank you steven everybody as sarah said thank you for your support thank you for listening to the kenobi keynote and as always until next time may the force be with you always happy pride bye <laughs>